Well, it's Thursday night in an upstairs room in Jerusalem. And the disciples have gathered with Jesus for a last meal together. They are all there. James, John, Judas, Peter, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, all of them are there reclining around a low table. They chatter in a nervous tone. And these men know that something's up. They, it's as if they, uh, they, they, they look at Jesus and he's pensive and he's quiet and it seems as if something's on his mind and indeed it is. Jesus, as he eats the meal, knows that before long this whole night is going to turn ugly. Judas will come with a kiss. The Roman soldiers will come to arrest him and soon he will stand before Caiaphas and then Herod and then Pilate and in less than 12 hours, he'll be hanging on a cross. The conversation goes back and forth, and Jesus listens. Suddenly, he stands up, and he takes off his outer coat, and he wraps a towel around his waist. Taking a basin of water, he goes to the end of the table, and he kneels down. And without a word, he washes the feet of one of those disciples. First, he brushes off the dirt, and then he washes the feet with water one foot at a time and when he's finished he takes the towel and wipes the feet dry and then he goes on to the next disciple and then the next and the next and does the same thing in the room there is total silence no one dares to speak they cannot believe what Jesus is doing what seems odd to us would not have seemed odd in the first century because most people wore sandals and the roads were dusty. Even a short trip meant that your feet are going to end up getting dirty. The Romans had built a fine road system. The phrase, all roads lead to Rome, was more than a slogan, and some of those roads are still in use today. After constructing a road from one city to another, they put kind of a dirt on the road that provided a smooth finish. But that dirt left in indelible marks on anyone who walked on the roadway. So it was common in the ancient world to provide a basin of water for visitors to wash their feet. The custom goes back so far that the first four mentions of the word feet in the Bible involve washing dirty feet, and those are found in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. But in each case, the water was provided so that visitors could wash their own feet. This was simply common courtesy in those days, and in fact, not, not to offer water to a guest was to wash their feet would be a breach of etiquette. It would be unthinkable kindness to a guest. Uh, we, we see this clearly in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus visits the home of a man by the name of Simon the Pharisee. The, a, a pleasant dinner was interrupted when a woman came who was a former prostitute and she comes and kneels at Jesus feet and she's weeping because of her love for him and then dries his feet with her long hair and Simon is scandalized by this act and he's shocked and and, and he thinks it's outrageous behavior but knowing what he was thinking Jesus rebuked Simon with some stinging words Jesus said look at this woman kneeling here when I entered your home you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. 
The woman loved Jesus because she had been forgiven much. And Simon didn't see himself as a great sinner, so he didn't even bother to offer Jesus the signs of common courtesy and hospitality, water for his feet, a kiss to welcome him, and oil to anoint his head. Now, in those days, you normally washed the feet of uh, your own feet after the host offered a basin of water. You knelt down, you removed your sandals, you washed your feet, you dried them with the towel provided. If a person had servants, they might be delegated to do that job for you. That was kind of the high mark of society if you had servants who could wash the guests' uh, feet. But under no circumstance would the host wash the feet of their guests. The master would never stoop so low as to wash the feet of those beneath him. Did you ever notice that feet stink when they're dirty? Isn't that a profound thought? Our feet stink when they're dirty. That's a human fact, not a cultural observation. After a long, hard day, your feet have absorbed quite a pounding. Now think about it. If you, if you wear sandals, you've been exposed to dirt everywhere. If your feet are in socks, they're likely to be sweaty. And then you have all the other foot problems known to humankind. You know, ingrown nails and corns and calluses and cracked heels and, for some people, funguses of different sorts and... It's no great revelation to say that some people don't pay much attention to their feet. I read an article recently that talked about how most men definitely pay less attention to their feet than women. For men, feet are just those things attached to the bottom of our legs. We think about them when we buy shoes and, and when they hurt, but not so much any other time. Lots of men go through a lifetime without having a pedicure, but for women it's a different matter. But still, most of us don't think much about our feet until they start bothering us. Have you ever tried to wash someone's dirty feet after a long, hard day? Have you ever tried to wash somebody's feet when their feet are covered with grime or sweat? Have you ever put your face right down next to, you know, an ingrown nail? It's not an easy thing to do, is it? Some groups... Of, of Christians observe foot washing as a church ritual. And uh, I talked to one person after the last service today, and she said in, my, in the church she grew up in, that was a very common thing in a lot of their church services. You know, I have no objection to that practice. In fact, I think sometimes it can be a beautiful remembrance of the night in the upper room, but if you know you're going to go to a foot washing service, what are you likely to do first? Wash your feet. That's what I would do anyhow. We just naturally do that because we don't want somebody to have to wash our dirty feet, do we? But that's the whole point, isn't it? If your feet aren't dirty, they don't need washing. If they need washing, someone has to stoop down and get up close and personal with your dirty feet. And for most of us, that's a little bit embarrassing. It might even be humiliating. I read the story recently of a family who traveled to China who on the advice of one of their children who lived there and worked there, uh, went to have a Chinese foot massage. They took a taxi down to the main shopping district of Beijing where they found the foot massage establishment on the second floor of a building. Turned out to be a very nice setting. They seated each person in a raised chair, you know, kind of like a barber's chair, where they could watch TV or read magazines. They offered them tea and sandwiches, and eventually the foot massagers came out. Four women and one man. The dad in the family remarked that he ended up with a young lady who was probably half his size. 
And she looked up at him and she smiled and then she placed his feet in a pan of extremely hot tea, which evidently cleansed the feet, but as he reported, almost took away all the feeling in his feet as well. But a few minutes later, she came back and went to work massaging and rubbing and stretching and pulling and prodding and doing all manner of things to his feet. And at one point, she looked to the side and made some kind of joke in her native Chinese language that he didn't understand. And as she continued to work on his feet for a while, um, he kind of wondered what that was all about. But, uh, but she ended up uh, doing his feet and then came around and massaged his neck and shoulders and upper arms, and he said the whole experience lasted about an hour, and it cost $12. And even though all that massaging made him sore, in the end, he said his feet never felt better in all of his life. And looking back on that experience, what he remembered the most was how vulnerable it felt to have someone rubbing his feet. For him, it was a very humbling experience. Now, this may not be apparent at first, but think about it. Your feet carry an enormous load. Did you know that the average person walks the equivalent of three times around the earth in a lifetime? And the foot itself is a complex mechanism made up of 23 bones, 33 joints, and over 100 muscles and tendons. And whether you know it or not, your feet represent all of you. After all, wherever your feet go, the rest of your body typically follows. And if your feet hurt, the whole body hurts. If your feet are cold, you often are cold all over. And if your feet are dirty, you don't feel clean until you've washed your feet. So your feet are, are those things that take you where you want to go in most cases. That's why the Bible says in Romans 10:15, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Because the feet are a humble part of our body. Washing them touches us deeply and sometimes reveals some very deep feelings. That's why Peter reacted so strongly when Jesus approached him with the towel and with the basin of water. Listen to how the gospel writer John describes it. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus or Peter, uh, Simon, uh, Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Now in the original Greek of the New Testament, these words are even stronger than in English. The words you and my are put in an emphatic position as if Peter is saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? But even that doesn't express the shock that Peter felt. How could it be that you, my Lord, should wash the feet of someone like me? That's what Peter was really saying. Peter felt that it was simply not right, that somehow the roles had been reversed, it violated everything that he had been taught about hospitality for Jesus to touch his dirty feet. It simply wasn't going to happen. By the way, this is one of the longest conversations on record between Jesus and Peter, and everything Peter says is wrong. <laughs> Don't you love Peter? He swings from one extreme to the other. The more Peter talks, the more confused he gets. First he is shocked, and then he is flatly refuses for Jesus to wash his feet, 
And then he tells Jesus not only to wash his feet, but his head and his hands also. And he speaks out of confusion, born out of frustration, and out of complete misunderstanding. Nothing that Jesus is saying here makes sense to Peter. In verse 8, he refuses Jesus in the strongest language possible. In fact, he, in, in the original text, he uses so many negatives that we can't even translate it well into English. It means something like, you will never, ever, ever wash my feet. Not now, not ever, absolutely not. To which Jesus calmly replies, fine, Peter, but if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And that's when Peter impulsively says, okay, go ahead, give me a bath, wash me all over. You know, God bless Peter. He doesn't understand, but he wants Jesus to know that he loves him. He wants Jesus to know that he wants to be a disciple. And that's why what I mean when I say that foot washing exposes our heart. The lack of water for foot washing exposed Simon the Pharisee for his callous indifference. Peter's confession reveals the depth of his dedication, and he wants to follow Jesus with a clean hands, with a clean heart, with clean feet, with every part of his body washed. Now, don't miss the fact that according to John 13, 4, the meal was already underway when Jesus began washing the feet of the disciples. It wasn't at the beginning of the, of the evening together as it normally would have been. But the time for foot washing normally came before the meal. Why hadn't they washed each other's feet? Why hadn't someone washed Jesus' feet? Why did they start the meal with dirty feet? No doubt all the events of these final few days in Jesus' life was distracting to them, but we get a greater clue from Luke's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, which tells us that in this uh, upper room that night when Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper and given the, uh, uh, the cup and the, and the bread to them, they began to argue among themselves about who was the greatest in this little group of, of disciples. There's the real picture. Can you imagine Jesus has just revealed that he is going to give his life for the world and they're looking out for number one. No wonder they didn't wash each other's feet. No wonder it was left to Jesus and the master became the servant so that these big shots would understand who he really was and why he came to earth. And that's what Jesus meant when he told Peter, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. The dirt on their feet symbolizes the dirt that we all carry inside. The outer stain from the dusty road mirrors the inner stain of sin that no washing of water can ever remove. Jesus, putting on the servant's towel, pictured his willingness to die as a common criminal. And the water stood for his blood that cleanses us from all sin. The washing itself stands for the washing of regeneration whereby our sins are washed away. And that's what Jesus told Peter. That's why he told Peter his feet must be washed but, or else he would have no part in him. You see, as long as Christ is outside of us, all that he has ever done for the world has no value to us. It's not enough to say, I attend Redeemer Church. Or I love to sing the, the great music of the church. Or doesn't even do any good to say, you know, pa Pastor Rod baptized me when I was young. I believe that there was a person. It's not even enough to say I believe there's a person named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. And, uh, because 
as long as we stand apart from Christ, all the knowledge, all the religious experience in the world makes no difference. One commentator pointed out that Peter, uh, Peter's many spiritual advantages really made no difference in his life. Peter uh, was humble, but humility is never enough. He experienced the miracles that Jesus did, but miracles in and of themselves are not enough. He heard Christ teach, but knowledge is not enough. He walked with Jesus, uh, but merely being close to Jesus was not enough. He performed acts of service and did good things, but doing good deeds is not enough. He saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, but spiritual, spiritual highs are not enough. He was full of enthusiasm for Jesus, but even that was not enough. Peter must humbly submit to having his feet washed by the Son of God. And he must do it even though he didn't fully understand it. In the same way, coming to Christ is like having our feet washed. We must come to Christ dirty and unclean, embarrassed by the stain of our sin that we cannot remove ourselves, and we must do nothing at all while Jesus does all the work for us. You see, we can't wash away our own sin. Jesus has to do that. Many, many of the hymn writers, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago in the, in, the, in the church, as they wrote some of the great hymns of the church, began to speak to this truth. Like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, all of them began to express that Jesus came into a world of dirty feet. And he made a difference. Our journey through life is much dirtier than we think. We never know what we might step in that will leave us defiled and unclean from one day to the next. We don't like to think about that, but it's true. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to stay clean, we all get dirty. And we end each day a little dirtier than we started the day. And that's why Jesus told Peter that although he was clean already, he still needed to have his feet washed. Jesus said, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Two different words here are used, one meaning com a complete bath and the other meaning just to wash apart. Coming to Christ is like taking a bath. We're made clean as our sin is washed away. But we still need that daily cleansing. We may have committed our life to Christ, but because we sin every day, we need that daily cleansing. We need to ha regularly have the dirt removed from our feet. When we come to Christ, the guilt of our sin is removed forever. But because we live in a dirty world, we need that daily cleansing. Now think about your life just over the last 24 hours. Maybe some of you said things that you shouldn't have said. Maybe you responded unkindly to someone or too quickly. Maybe you'd done things that you really ought not to have done. Maybe you left undone an act of mercy that you could have done. Maybe we're all imperfect people. The list could go on. But we are imperfect people, and that's why we need what Jesus offers. We need to be cleansed every day. We need salvation that takes away the guilt of our sin, yes, it provides for that daily cleansing, and Jesus makes us ready for heaven. He removes the guilt of our sin. He daily cleanses us as we follow him. Through his death on the cross, he provides everything we need, both now and forever. 
You know, for many years I heard a statement that was made, attributed to the great reformer Martin Luther that said that we should sin boldly. And I've always wondered about the context of that out, seemingly outrageous statement. And then I ran across this quote that was in a letter from Martin Luther to his friend Philip Melanchthon in 1521 that says, God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. So be a sinner and let your sins be strong, but let your, tr your trust in Christ be stronger. And rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin and death in the world. We will commit sins while we are here, for this life is not a place where justice resides. It suffices that through God's glory we have recognized the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. No sin can separate us from him. Until we see the depth of our sin, we will never appreciate the great sacrifice that our Lord made on the cross. We're not imaginary sinners. We are great sinners who need a great Savior. And we have one in Jesus who stooped so low that he was not ashamed to wash dirty feet. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus who shared with us um, his life and showed us the way to, be, to faithful service, who loved us enough to come to earth and live among us so that we might know your unconditional love. We know that he died for the sins of all humankind, people like us who lose their way in disobedience and self-centeredness and alienation. So forgive us when we have broken covenant with you and turn from your grace. Pardon our sin and bring all the pieces of our life back together. We pray in Jesus' name.